I think that people thought I was really joking and this was kind of a, a put on or something. That we were going to have a, nothing put on at all. This was in 1924. 1924. Did you rob the train? What train was that? Now, I, I wasn't around in 1924. It's round out of Chicago, right out of round out Illinois, about uh, 30 miles out of Chicago. Right. And there's a little station they call round out. That's where they got the names. Where it was, and it was a mail train, two mail trains going on west. Right. Now, it says you, in four years, you robbed 80 banks. Yeah, we robbed a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't rob all the banks in Texas. We just robbed 30 or 40. But we robbed plenty of them in other states like Illinois, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, and several other states. But just like doctors and lawyers and everybody else, it was our business to do that. We never killed anybody, and we never wanted to. All we wanted was the money, to make money. Now, you lived pretty well, I suppose, when you were... Oh, yeah, when yeah. You were... Yeah, we stayed at the best hotels, <laughs> eat the best cafes, drove the best cars about them days. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of women. Well, there's always, if you got a good car and a pocket full of money and a young man... Yeah. Yeah. That'll answer the Nobody never gave me anything but hell in my life, and I never done anything I was ashamed of doing either. I've done some things I'm sorry of. One thing I'm sorry of, we robbed a bank up in Kansas, an old boy inside got scared and went off and left $200,000 laying there. All they had to do to put it in a handbag. When I bought him out about it, we said, oh, we got enough. I said, we never get enough. I said, when I go in to get anything, I want to get it all. And from then on, I went inside, and they was cleaned out when I come out. <laughs> All right, guys. Welcome to another exciting episode of Liquored Listings. This is your host, Big Earn McCracken, coming at you. Um, and that's a clip right there from the Johnny Carson show back in 1980. And we'll delve a little bit further into that uh, as the episode progresses. But today's episode is all about... Uh, historical figures of the Wild West that a lot of you may not have heard of. It's time to get educated. You don't need to uh, only look at your television set and watch a movie or, or a program and get your knowledge. Sometimes reading. Reading brings knowledge and knowledge is power. So I've got a very eclectic uh, group of five today, the top five in my list. Uh, and it'll be fun for you to actually go through when we're done and take a look at some of these historical figures because, you know, I, I'm on a limited time, so I'm going to give you a brief summary of each. Um, but there's a lot more to these people, and uh, it's it's good to actually know some other figures of the Wild West other than, let's say, Wyatt or Doc Holliday, uh, Jesse James, Billy the Kid, and everybody that we all know about, Wild Bill Hickok, uh, so on and so forth. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Liquor Listings. Uh, only helps the show grow, and we are growing really, really quickly. Uh, go ahead and send me mails. Send me hate mail. Send me, send me love mail. Hate mail is even funnier, and that's probably the easiest way to get on the air. If you want to be a guest on the show, once again, mail me uh, either on Twitter, J at J B O A N 
C-H-E-79. That's my Twitter handle, or you can get a hold of me on the Line app. Flung Dung, F-L-U-N-G-D-U-N-G. What's going on in the cup today is a little bit of the Coors Light. Uh, a lot of you know me through the West game, and we have a big visceral battle tonight. So I'm drinking the uh, the beer water. Gotta gotta keep my head on straight, so can't get into the heavy IPAs or stouts tonight. So, what do you say we get right into the list? Let's go ahead, and I'm gonna start right out with our number five, standing at six foot four inches tall, uh, and he carried two bullets with him his entire life. Um, he was, because he was in the Civil War. So you can imagine the pain that he went through his entire life uh, carrying around the extra lead, uh, basically untreated in those times, is Dallas Studemeyer. Um, this gentleman was known for a few different things. He had a, quite a career as a lawman uh, back in the 1800s and the 1880s. Um, Notorious, his biggest thing was the four dead in five seconds gunfight. Um, so he was brought to El Paso. He was a sheriff in New Mexico at the time, and his brother-in-law had lived in El Paso. El Paso was known as one of the roughest uh, cities or towns back in the Wild West days. And Dallas Studemeyer ends up becoming, or his nickname is basically the savior of El Paso. Um because he went in there, they wanted someone rough, just as rough and tumble as uh, the town itself. So they needed a lawman to come in there and set things straight. Um, for example, so in eight months before he had arrived, they had gone through six different sheriffs of the town of El Paso. And then he came in. Uh, and the legend has it, when he got there, uh, the biggest town drunk was the current sheriff. Uh, his name was, I think, Sheriff Bill Johnson. Um, and apparently, uh, Dallas Studemeyer approached him to get the keys for the uh, sheriff's office in the jail. And uh, Mr. Johnson was completely inebriated, right off his ass, probably could have been right on my show, liquor listings. Uh, but he was unable to uh, produce the keys for uh, Dallas to take over. And he said he had to go back to his house to get the keys and find them and locate them. But Johnson was, uh, Studemeyer was having none of that. So apparently he flipped the inebriated uh, uh, Bill Johnson upside down. Remember back in those days, six foot four inches tall is absolutely enormous. We, anybody that knows history knows that uh, the uh, height and overall appearance of mankind has only gone up. So six foot four back in those days was a giant. The average height of a man back then was five foot five inches tall. So you can imagine basically a foot taller than the average uh, human back in those times. So what an imposing figure. So we flipped him upside down and got the keys from him. And that's how he started uh, his career in El Paso. Uh, his most famous uh, for the uh, four dead in five seconds gunfight Uh he became like a feud uh, with a with a group of people over some Mexican cowboys, some kids who had stolen some horses, and it had just completely escalated. Where the two of the uh, 
mix they were missing young Mexican cowboys. They were brought back and basically Stoudemire was defending them. Um, so what happened eventually is because he was the marshal and he was on the wrong side of the local townspeople and they wanted re, uh, they wanted vengeance for what had happened uh, with the two young Mexicans. Uh, they had approached the uh, uh, Studemeyer's constable, I think it was Kremku or something like that, at a saloon. Uh, and then a confrontation came up, but uh, Studemeyer was in uh, an opposing diner eating breakfast and he heard the raucous. Um, so he ran across the street when he heard the gunfire start and he ran out and he just started shooting. The first person he shot was an innocent bystander. Uh, and then he shot Hale, one of the people instigating the fight. Uh, once he, so he saw him drop and then he became attacked. Uh, there was gunfire right out in the middle of the streets between uh, himself, his constable, and the Campbell brothers that were attacking him. George Campbell, I believe, was the one. And as he got, uh, as Campbell had shot Kremku, uh, he whirled around quickly in the street, uh, Dallas Studemeyer did, and put one between his eyes. And this all happened, like, once the, once the fight started happening, they say it was over in five seconds and with four men laying dead. And none of, neither the uh, constable nor Studemeyer uh, with any harm on them. So this uh, was spread from New York City to San Francisco. It was all through the newspapers. It created an even bigger feud amongst uh, the friends of uh, uh, the Hale and the people that he killed. And that's eventually what led to the demise of uh, Dallas Studemeyer. And he was known as an ambidextrous. So a few months later, when there was another fight, uh, he got shot in the uh, left arm, which was his main shooting arm, and got pushed out the saloon doors and still came up firing and killing one of the assailants, but got uh, attacked from behind and shot behind the ear, killing him instantly. Uh, through his career, he was known to have at least 17 kills and one of the most imposing figures of that time. So definitely someone you need to go research and have a little fun with. Dallas Studemeyer coming in at number five. Number four, we're going to go with a guy with a couple of nicknames. He was known as Killer Miller or the Deacon Jim. Um, he is Jim Killer Miller is what I'm going to call him. That was his first name. Uh, he was a distant cousin of one of our other people on the list, John Wesley Harden. Um, and he was, he made a name for himself basically as a professional assassin. He even advertised, uh, in Memphis, Texas, that he would kill a man, uh, for $150. That was his going rate at the time when he first started his career. <laughs> um, if that doesn't tell you anything about it, he was, the reason he was named Deacon, uh, is cause he, uh, didn't drink alcohol, didn't smoke, didn't drink, and he was the son of a Methodist preacher. So he carried himself with a very high regard, and people um, saw him as like almost an upstanding citizen, even though uh, later on when he st really started uh, fighting as an assassin, he was still known for that uh, appearance as being an upright standing citizen. So 
It, it later uh, caught him into trouble, but he actually lived longer than most people uh, in the wild, wild west days that chose gunfighting as some sort of profession. Um, he's re- like I said, he was credited with up to 17 kills um, during the summer of 90, uh, 1902. He caught three men stealing in Ward County, and he killed two of them with his Winchester, then wounded the third. And that was all from uh, uh, a couple of ranchers that hired him uh, for $500. So he was, he could be paid off to right or wrong, whichever side of the, uh, you know, coin you want to take it at the time, what was right and what was wrong didn't really matter to Jim Miller. It was about the money. So he would end up, you know, tracking you down and killing you for uh, another story. Uh, he caught uh, a lawman at the time, Ben Collins. Um, he uh, got in a big fight out, shootout with uh, with uh, Jim over a, a little feud because uh, a guy named Pruitt had uh, put an order out for the killing of Collins. Uh, and that had been rescinded uh, or had been taken on by a different government at the time. And that was uh, the guy took the money and ran. So then he was offered $500, Jim Miller was, to go get Collins. And that type of money in those times, I think that equates to probably about thirty to 40000 in modern day society. So that was too much for uh, Jim Miller to pass up. He was also uh, thought of to kill Pat Garrett. And if you know who Pat Garrett was, he was the uh, lawman who was the killer of Billy the Kid. So that's another one that could be possibly accredited to Jim Miller, Jim Killer Miller. Um, basically, he was uh, one of the deadliest fighters out there, and he never really got to live to a decent age of 47, uh, where he was finally arrested for the killing of, uh, if I can remember, John Babbitt or Joe Babbitt. I can't remember his exact name, um, but he was a 19-year-old cowhand that uh, Mr. Miller had killed. And you'll notice a big theme is back in those days, it was very hard to uh, prosecute and get a uh, conviction uh, for murder back in those days. So the lynch mob basically didn't think that he would uh, face the repercussions of the crimes that he had committed and therefore uh, lynched him, hung him up and strung him out to dry. But if you want to really read a little bit more about Mr. Jim Miller, one of the biggest uh, assassins back in those days and a lot of fun read. So let's give a recognition to Jim Killer Miller. Coming in at number three, I'm going to go with this one you may have heard a little bit more about, uh, John Wesley Harden. Um, although not as famous as you know a billy the kid or a wyatt earp um he does have a little bit of recognition uh, recognition amongst uh the wildest of people in the in those times uh basically he is, he is a folk icon if you really want to think about it you hear about him in certain situations uh he has laid claims uh to have killed up to 42 men and you know there's discussions about that it's 42 it's, it's known of at least 27. So that really already puts him head and shoulders above some of the greatest killers of the wild, wild west. 
Uh, and that was all before the age of like 23, 24 years old. He wrote his autobiography in prison and ended up becoming a lawyer over the years. Um, in fact, he was actually executed less than a year after he was released. So most of his time was actually spent in prison. So that shows how crazy he was by the age of 23, 24 years old, um, having definitely killed 27 people, but up to 42 uh, possible killings at that time. Uh, and one big thing about him that a lot of people um, reference is his uh, encounter with Wild Bill Hickok, which is a huge, huge name, uh, known as the fastest gun in the West. You know, it was uh, traveled with, you know, the circuses and carnivals at the time. Wild Bill is a huge, huge name in the West. And uh, apparently there was an encounter in, uh, in uh, Abilene, Texas. Um, and Bill, the town marshal at the time was Wild Bill Hickok. And he was to go and remove the buns, uh, the guns, not the buns, <laughs> what the hell, uh, from John Wesley Harden. And at first, John Wesley Harden had said that, oh yeah, he's just gonna give him up. And he approached Wild Bill with his butts, the butts of the gun uh, facing Wild Bill. But as he was about to hand him over, he did the little twirl and spun him right up on Wild Bill. And apparently they both backed down. He turned his guns over and eventually rode with Wild Bill uh, on a couple of missions back in the day. So he was known uh, for that association with Wild Bill, which is really kind of cool. Another story of his was that uh, he uh, got in a lot of trouble and was wanted for murder for killing a snoring man. Apparently he was... Uh, pretty drunk at night and couldn't sleep because the man in the room next door from where he was sleeping wouldn't stop snoring. So in order to shut him up and scare him, John Wesley Harden fired uh, five rounds through the, <laughs> through the walls and one ended up uh, hitting the other man right in the heart, um, killing him instantly. And while Bill was still the, uh, uh, around those times, so he left before any, but he was using an alias at the time. But anyway, he, he escaped before any justice came, and uh, just a, that just shows you how crazy he was. If you if you're shooting through a wall because a man is snoring, you've got serious issues when it comes to gunplay. So let's once again give a shout out, and that one you can probably find a lot more information on than the others. But John Wesley Harden was a natural born killer, um, a psychopath really, and he did make a big name for himself back in the day. That right there gets number three down, and we're going to go straight ahead and jump into number two. Number two on my list is a man named Tom Horn Jr. Uh, this man led a very interesting life. I uh, started out in the Civil War, um, was a, a known scout during those times. And he did a lot of martial work down in the Southwest, uh, becoming a tracker, uh, spent some time with Indians and became very good at scouting. Uh, he gets very, his biggest recognition comes over in uh, the Colorado Range Wars. And he was known for uh, being a killer for hire, uh, especially for uh, big ranches and wealthy businessmen. So back then, stealing horses and stealing cattle was a major major offense, like punishable by death. And Tom was often hired out by these 
businessmen, including the Pinkertons, if you know anything about the West, the huge agency, the Pinkertons, he even worked for them uh, to help stop uh, crime in those days. It's referred that he would, uh, just by making his presence known, like he would ride to the top of a ridge in the town and make his presence well known, and it would slowly cut down on the crime in those days because he was such uh, a notorious killer. So a lot of his uh, later on, before he got uh, arrested, was he would uh, assume a different name and infiltrate these gangs that were stealing horses and cattle. And he would uh, become part of the gang. And then when he you know, knew, the, knew of their guilt, he would just go ahead and uh, kill them on the spot. He figured it was easier than bringing them to trial because back in those days, trials didn't work. Now, he got arrested uh, for a murder of a young boy named Willie Nickel. Um, and there's a lot of controversy about uh, this. And in fact, I think it was in the 60s that there's a movie uh, called Tom Horn that is really, really good to watch. It's a very, very, very good movie. Um, but they, there was a conflict between the Millers and the Nickel families back, back in that time. And it ended up being where a couple of the Miller family got shot and they wanted revenge, so on and so forth. And it ended up where the 14-year-old boy, 14-year-old uh, nickel kid, Kells Nick, Willie Nickel, uh, ended up being shot. And uh, nobody could prove who it was, but Tom Horn had been in the area. Um, some say the day before, but he was still in the area. So it's very possible that he was the killer, but it's, very up in dispute, even into modern times, whether or not he did it. Now, how we got arrested and charged with it was that the uh, the sheriff at the time brought him in for questioning when he was absolutely hammered, and he but he didn't he wasn't really, he wasn't getting brought in for that. He was just getting questioned, and Horn was all braggadocious, saying that he shot him from three hundred yards away and there was his greatest shot of all time and so on and so forth. And if anybody knows um how hard a three hundred yard shot is, I mean deer hunters in modern day times with scopes, you know, shoot deer at a hundred to 150 yards. And 150 yards is a hell of a shot. I mean three hundred yards, that's nine hundred feet or three football fields. And you mean to tell me you can kill somebody with one shot with open sights back in the day? <laughs> I mean, come on, it's a little far-fetched. But he said this while, while he was uh, completely intoxicated. And so they brought him to charges on it. Um, interestingly, it was a long, a long uh, trial. And he had uh, judges that were uh, supporting him. One was actually his lawyer. Um, but through it all, he ended up getting convicted and he was hung, um, I think it was in maybe 1903 or something like that. Uh, but he was hung, uh, with a water, uh, hanging tool. So basically a, a water, uh, they poured water into a lever system and once the lever, so basically nobody feels guilty about the killing of him. So you're not a hangman or something like that. But a very interesting life. Um, he wrote his memoirs uh, while in jail, and that was mostly about his younger years uh, and very little about the killing of the kid because most likely he was not guilty. 
So another one you should definitely take a look at, Tom Horn Jr. coming in at number two. And that leads us to our number one. And our number one isn't just one person. And let me get a real quick sip here so we can finish this off. This uh, pertains to the clip that I sent you earlier. Is of the Newton boys or the Newton gang. Uh, and that was Joe Newton that was on the Johnny Carson show in 1980. Now, these were the outlaws in the early 1900s. And they are known to have, let me just get the facts here correct. Um, 87, they robbed 87 banks and six trains over a five year period. Their total haul was worth more than the James Younger gang, uh, Butch Cassidy, uh, the Dalton gang, all combined. They scored $3 million in one robbery, uh, which equates in modern day times to approximately $50 million. Now, the fascinating thing about the Newton boys or the Newton gang is it was four brothers that grew up very, very uh, poor. But throughout all that time, uh, they never killed anybody. They never hurt anybody. They were only in it for the money. So it's an amazing story that they have. Um, and man, we have a thunderclapper outside right now. This is beautiful. Coming of the Wild West. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, so the brothers consist of uh, Willis, Joe, uh, Jess, and Doc Newton. And the funny thing about them is, yeah, they spent some time in prison, but very, very little sentences. I think the max uh, sentence that they got was 10 years. Um, and they all lived into their old age. Uh, Willis died at age 90, Joe at 88, the other two into their mid-70s. And they lived a productive life uh, for such prolific bank robbers. Um, a funny story is that uh, Jess Newton uh, was the last one to be captured after their big roundabout. That's the one where they scored the $3 million and the one that eventually got them caught. Um, he had uh, escaped the longest and he was uh, in Texas near the border and he got so nervous that he decided to bury uh, his remaining money. He got so inebriated that he went out into the, into the wilds and buried it under a rock or buried it and then put a rock over it and has never been able to find it again. He looked and looked and looked and he could never find it. And that has never been found. It's actually one of the, one of the treasure hunts that people could actually still go look for. Um, I don't know what it was buried in. So I doubt it would be any good in, in uh, uh, at this point, you know, being under the ground for so long, but still, that $100,000 worth of uh, cash in those days, I mean, that's millions of dollars in, in today's time, never been found. So he ended up abandoning that idea and went over to Mexico. He was only in Mexico for about uh, a year when he was finally tracked down. They couldn't arrest him in Mexico. So he was known for like his gambling and he was a bronc rider. So they invited him, they persuaded him to come over on a gambling because he didn't know it was obviously the law. And sure enough, he showed up and he gets arrested in his uh, complete rodeo attire and brought back to Chicago. 
And uh, he was there. They often contribute him uh, to being the reason that the, all of the Newton boys got such a light sentence because he was so uh, gregarious and so uh, fun loving in the courtroom that people actually really liked him. Another reason they got light sentences is, like I said, they never killed anybody. Uh, you can watch. This is a very fun movie. And it's called The Newton Boys. It stars uh, Matthew McConaughey, Skeet Ulrich, um, uh, Ethan Hawke's in it. So if you have time, it's such a fun, fun movie. And you'll get to learn a lot more about The Newton Boys. Um, so there we go. That's our show. Our top five uh, legends of the West that you may never have heard about. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Go ahead and subscribe, like I said. Uh, check out all the rest of the podcasts that I have on the air and look forward to uh, many more in the near future. Uh, once again, Big Irma Kraken signing out for Liquor Listing. Be safe, have fun, and have a great day.